But the more that you can do that, the more you can stay calm, breathe, smile to yourself when you're going through that discomfort, I believe that translates over more to what neurological strength is because then you're more in control. You're telling your body what to do as opposed to your brain inhibiting what you want it to do. So kind of switching that mindset and that takes a lot of practice to do. That was Dr. Mark Wetzel and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle. And not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual results of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Simplyfaster.com also has B Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro. And this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm glad you're here, and thanks for tuning in. When it comes to all methods of exercise that are out there, there might be none more intriguing than long isometric holds. For example, an isometric lunge that's held for five minutes straight. Why would you do that? (laughs) That's exactly the question. The first time I started to incorporate long isometric holds or iso extremes as Jay Schrader, who's the the modern facilitator of of really integrating this method in, in our training times, has called them. In my first experience, really integrating that training method into my own work, my own methods in my mid-30s, I found a very rapid, about a two to three inch increase in my running vertical jump after about two to three weeks of using ISO extreme holds and super slow holds into moving into the stretch range position. The way my body felt in the course of that training after a few weeks of that, that type of method, I was really just, I was on this nonstop journey to figure out more about why that was. And that deep dive has led me to having discussions with numerous guests on that topic, such as Jerome Simeon, Tommy John, Alex Lee, Brady Vollmering, and then our guest today who probably has the record for the most discussions that I've had with a guest on extreme isometrics or long isometric holds, and that is Dr. Mark Wetzel. Mark is a chiropractic neurologist based out of Nashville, Tennessee, He is not only a chiropractor, but has substantial experience training athletes and then being a student of isometrics and training himself. In the first episode that I did with Dr. Mark, he spoke on how he trained a baseball team using only the isometric holds for five minutes each, like a lunge, push-up, Superman, and some others, and that team experienced amazing strength gains. 
And so ever since then, we've had some great conversations on different aspects of the isometric training method. On the show today, Dr. Mark will give his thoughts on how a positive mental state can improve one's ability to sustain the hold in those isometric or or pulling positions, or really increase our muscle endurance in general. And it's always really cool to explore that link between the mind and the body. Mark will speak extensively on the postural and the muscle tone elements of holding the isometrics or the isometric exercises. And he'll also speak on the fascial elements of the isometrics, the fascial lines that we are actually working in the course of some of these movements and how there is connotations in that from an electrical perspective, a total body function perspective. Finally, as Mark is a chiropractic neurologist, he will give his take on what he feels neurological strength truly is and how that is manifested in a program's results. One of the first things Dr. Mark talks about is a mental practice that you can do prior to or during the isometric holds. And I found after the show that this practice could actually help me do a hold around 25% longer. And I'm just getting started with it. So really cool stuff. And it's really cool to see how the mind can impact what the body can do. Anyways, uh, let's get on to the show. Episode 298 with Dr. Mark Wetzel. Mark, man, it's awesome to have you back on the show. I, I have a question for you on like, okay, so people who have listened to these podcasts in the past, we talk a lot about the isometrics and the long holds and they can mm-hmm. obviously be very difficult. And it's just funny, like when I'm like days where I'm stressed out, like I'll do a hang from a bar and I start feeling pain and fatigue so fast into that hold, like on a day versus a day where I'm life is just no problems, you know, like a like I'm sitting on the beach or something. And I always think about, man, like this is not just in the muscle in the sense of where is this fatigue coming from? And uh, what are your thoughts on just like, like the mental element? Like when you see people hitting that threshold and I, so I know it's so easy to say it's just mental or, you know, whatever thoughts on mental toughness are in there, but any thoughts on helping people to achieve a better mental state to navigate a a physically difficult or taxing uh, movement? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an open-ended question, but every time when we do ISOs and we have a really good day, and then the next day we have a really bad day, we always try to justify it. We're like, okay, well, what did I do different yesterday? Why was I so much stronger? Why was I able to hold it longer? And then it's funny, our first our first reaction to the next day when we're, we can't hold it as long or we feel weaker is, I must have done something wrong. Or like, man, what? Why? why did I... Uh, regress or what, you know, what, what happened or where, why am I not excelling? And that's really just a mentality coming from a standpoint of fear, right? And let's just use fear and love as two opposites. I know there's lots of emotions that are negative, lots that are positive, et cetera, but essentially that's coming from a state of fear. Like you just thought you did something wrong. You thought you failed. And so what I try to do is every time I'm, I guess, in one of those modes is I just try to bring up some sort of happiness or joyful emotion to totally take my mind off of it. And in this book, uh, Taoism book that I uh, read a while ago, they have this meditation called the smiling meditation. And you literally just go through your body and you smile at every part in your body. And in all honesty, when you do that, there's this sense of relaxation comes through and it actually allows me to do whatever the task I'm doing just a little bit longer. I'm not saying it magically goes away and I'm fully energized and healed. But with enough practice, I mean, you can do that almost instantaneously. You can do it multiple times in a row. And it actually does create quite a, quite a bit of difference. So again, coming back to, yeah, everything is mental. I mean, it kind of is, right? That's the annoying part. But 
the the smiling at yourself and a lot of people don't really even smile anymore these days they don't even know how to it's for whatever reason this day and age everyone's you know monotone or don't don't show your emotions or you know everyone's trying to hide something i don't know but just literally just try smiling at yourself and the biggest thing is your eyebrows so everyone will kind of squeeze their eyes together and kind of get the wrinkles in their forehead that's where it starts so you need to relax your forehead and your eyes and then learn to smile at yourself yeah i think uh i should have some sort of like mass research project that everyone do you know whatever your your um, standard isometric hold time is for maybe just a hang and then do the meditation and then try it again i it makes me think about back uh, when I worked with water polo at UC Berkeley. It was oh, water, yeah. polo, water polo compared to other sports. Water polo is a tough sport. And I mean, I think yeah. there's different definitions of mental toughness. But as their strength coach, I was expected to uh, challenge them a lot more than, let's say, the tennis team or something like that. That's like kind of an expectation. And so I didn't I wasn't a big fan of doing like hit circuits or that kind of thing. I mean, we did circuits, but I, I tried to throw a lot of isos in there rather than like uh-huh. high heart rate, you know, tr- traditional. I tried to really stick like almost every other station. If we had eight stations, I would put like an ISO and things. And I felt like that was just a really cool blend of things like to be able to kind of satisfy what the coaches were looking for, but then also to keep the athletes awareness, not just on, oh, I just hope I make the coach happy by doing enough, yeah. you know, med ball throws against the wall. But it's also like, hey, you get to go internal and that's really important. And so, but another thing that, a thing that I often did with them that I found, I found interesting. I learned so much from having them do this. And and I'm not, I'm not like a mental toughness in the standard form, you know, type type person at all. When I train track athletes, like 400 runners, I always was on the low dose side and and that kind of thing. But anyways, we would do just a, a bar hang to finish, start or finish the workout. How long can you go? And yeah, it, I mean, there was so many mental elements in there in the sense that there was people who were fully, full well capable of hanging up there a lot longer than they did. And it was interesting though there were some people who routinely just couldn't even get a minute just routinely and yeah i know those people oh it's crazy and you know i mean i think if you would have asked me this 10 years ago i would have said oh it's just a cop-out to say it's mental because to me that Uh was like the cop-out that you couldn't figure out a training thing that could keep them up there right but it was just something about that time too honestly i feel like if i just you turned off the the sense of what time was they probably could have at least gotten past that threshold but i remember the one thing that the one day that that we were able to get some of those athletes a serious breakthrough. And I, I do believe when you get a big breakthrough like that uh, with a hold time, it can open up levels of confidence and belief in yourself. But it was I had them write their goal on the board in front of everybody. And then I gave them like a visualization. Like it's like I just had this po- podcast with Nick Winkleman talking about storytelling and language. And, and this was and that's something I need to get better at. But it, I did have this thing in my head where I'm like, I told them the, to visualize, like, if you don't hang up there, you're going to fall into, like, a pit or something, or there's, like, sharks <laughs> yeah. swimming in. Or, I don't, and they had a board to write their time in front of everybody. And anyways, two of those people in, who who it barely ever could even, or couldn't get a minute, they got, like, a minute 30 and a minute 40. And I just felt like that was the biggest breakthrough for them, because it was a big, you know, it's just the way they're, they're, they would approach, not just being tough to be tough, I think that is not really that useful, but just more to see how can you utilize the way you shift a problem to overcome it. However, sorry, I'm like really going like long on this reply, but it makes me think about you, like you said, fear and love in a sense of, 
I mean, I don't know. There, maybe there was a little bit of like, you know, you write your thing on the board in front of other people. Like that's a different element, but like whatever visualization. But I think about so often mental toughness is presented to athletes in the form of fear. Like do this or this yeah. happens. Do this For like sure. on the in or this happens. And so it's a very... And I'm not saying that doesn't get a result, like in, when you're looking for people to complete the test, but if you can find a more, uh, and a lot of people on this podcast have talked about giving athletes autonomy and you creating a little bit more open system of coach, low, open lines of communication and coaching and yeah, more of like a, a just, a, it, it brings a different perspective to how to get that result. Because I think a fear result could maybe get you that time, but I think it would hurt a lot more <laughs> than like a smiling on your, uh, in that internal based awareness, smiling on yourself, smiling on your muscles and your body. I, I would imagine that would, you would not perceive the exercise in the same way as a fear-based approach to that, that task. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, like the fear-based mentality is, is almost like a traditional way of training. Like everyone's like, when you're getting ready to do a max or, you know, run as fast as you can, they're always like, you know, like dig deep, you know, think of something that hurts or painful. And then, you know, they always perceive it as, okay, well then now let's try and overcome it to kind of create that energy boost. And it's like, well, you could just try the opposite, just start from a very loving standpoint and see how that works out too. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. I will. Yeah. The smiling meditation, I will definitely have to give that a shot and I'll, I'll, re I'll report yeah. back to you <laughs> for sure. Or even just Perfect. like, or even just like laughing and smiling through it. I don't know. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll be, uh, that'll be something I'm really interested in. Cause I, I feel like it's just, it is so cool to me, for me to think about the spectrum as well. And, you know, I know we're going to get into like posture and position a little bit more. And, and I think about the isometrics and the whole scope of things compared to like, and I, I just had this really awesome podcast uh, with Nick w uh, Winkleman recently talking about cueing and language and creating stories to help athletes uh, carry out a technique. And sprinting is like very complicated, joints doing all sorts of different angles really quickly. Whereas an isometric, it's, it's so slow. I mean, you're slowly pulling into it, but it's like it takes that awareness like shrunk, like just down into a, a different it's a different level really but i just think that's so cool where it's like that's where that meditative level what lives a little bit more i think i mean not that it couldn't be helpful for some of the fast stuff but i think that almost plays by just a little bit a little different language than what we're trying to do in that that slow space yeah for sure okay so anyways uh i want to get more into position some things you've talked about quite extensively on our other talks about isometrics been For sure. pulling into a position. And I think, you know, if I tell an athlete pull into position, well, I mean, what does position mean fundamentally? Um, could you get, um, talk to me a little bit about what does position mean? Like what is, what does it mean to be in position as we get into isometrics? Yeah. So I think, and for one person to understand position, they also need to understand posture. So posture is a huge, crazy term these days. Everyone's going to have good posture. I try to simplify what posture means. And basically, it comes back to the breath. And so our body is very, uh, on a day-to-day, -day, it survives. And so in order to survive, you have to breathe. And breathing is the most important function. You know, next to your heartbeat, you know, those two are pretty much up there. And so our body is going to find a way to breathe most efficiently, no matter what. So Typically, when people have bad posture, it's because they have bad breathing mechanics. And so when the breathing mechanics start to go, our body is going to form or change around our breathing position to make our breathing easier. So it'll sacrifice essentially good 
quote-unquote posture to make sure that we breathe more efficiently. So if you can kind of understand that that's mostly what posture is, it has everything to do with breath, and you can kind of take away from, or you can kind of like change your mindset of like, oh, well, my shoulders need to be down and back, or my neck needs to be in this position, or, you know, blah da 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 which they do play a role, but again, everything's dependent on your breath. So if you, you know, hunch forward is a pretty good, like a lot of people have that problem these days just because we sit. And so our body essentially is if we sit all the time, it's going to find a way to breathe efficiently while sitting. And in order to do that, it actually creates more of a hunched over in the shoulders because then it takes pressure off of our ribs and they can expand more to help us breathe. So position is based off of posture. So correct position, in my opinion, is how well you can breathe in a certain position. And I know we've kind of talked about that. Um, So another one, a good example about posture is jumping. So like calf jumps or rebounding, more, more rebounding kind of. You'll figure out when you do a bunch of rebounds in a row, your body will start to position itself in a way that'll make you do it. And it's funny, you'll see a lot of people's heads start to go forward because their head needs to be forward in order to keep doing the exercise or keep breathing. And so it'll kind of bring out these compensations, which is kind of cool. But anyways, let's go back to position and pulling into position. So basically pulling means you're using your muscles that are going to bring you towards the ground. And so a lunge pulling in a position would mean that you're actively engaging the muscles that are going to bring you to the ground. Um, a lot of the times when we get into a lunge, we'll kind of sit there and hang out and we actually won't engage the hamstring because our quad is doing more work to essentially push us away from the ground. So you're completely, it's a different exercise the moment your hamstring shuts off and your quad starts overtaking. So pulling in the position is kind of that simple too. So posture is everything to do with breath. Pulling in the position means everything to do with whatever muscles are going to bring you into the ground. So another common misconception is a, like a push-up or a bench press. So like, how would you, what would you think of pulling in the position being in the bench press would be? Yeah. Like I, what muscles work it? Yeah. I, I think most people would say like some sort of mid back and lats pulling down into it something like that yep do people have everything in the biceps either biceps is a huge one in the bench press that people don't realize and they often lean the gate so again it's very being aware of what all the muscles that are engaged pulling something into the ground and same with a push-up you want to use those biceps you're at the lats posterior delt a lot of the backside and it's not like you're not engaging like your pec and things like that those are obviously still working too but it's just more about where is the intention behind it. Mm. And intention is huge too and could be talked about for a very long time. But having good position or, or good posture is is everything to do with breath. And that's kind of what I see a lot these days as people negate the breath is they will sacrifice their breath to stay in a quote-unquote good position. And I think that almost causes more harm than good. Mm especially when people start holding their breath and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think about it a little bit in the in terms of a lot of the um I don't know, like a, like a iso push-up holder and iso lunge. I mean, it's like um you have like a long kind of straight spine, but an iso push-up could really easily uh become like a very overextended position if you're 
almost like over pulling but the only way to be overextended like when your ribs are flaring forward and your back is a little bit too arched like that kind of thing it it would seem to me yeah. that that's a point where you've lost the canister of air <laughs> and yeah. that the breathing is no longer what it needs to be and it kind of I, I i have a lot of like young athletes who i've actually been thinking about the push-up progressions for some of some of them that i work with because they're so like there's no way they could do a feet on the ground iso push-up they're just way too weak and then even when you go to the knees it's like they're still have problems so i'm like all right well where do we go from here yeah and and to think about it from a point where I want them to be in a good overall posture before we really get into anything else. And so I think the breathing too, being able to breathe in whatever, you know, um, modified position that you can get into is really important. A lot of athletes have no idea. They're like, all right, coach has got me in this position, this arrangement, and I need to hold it for this time. Okay. (laughs) The breath is the, the breathing mechanics are something we don't oftentimes really integrate into that. Well, the breathing mechanics are kind of confusing too. And we don't spend a lot of time doing it, but I mean, if you think of every single ab muscle, or let's just put it this way, any muscle that is attached to your ribs or your spine is an associated breathing muscle that helps you breathe. So that's that's a lot of muscles. So, I mean, your chest, your, your psoas, like, I mean, I could, all your ab muscles. So if you're not really consciously aware of that, that all those muscles go into breathing, and then someone's just like, hold this position and learn to breathe. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong, but like, there's so much more you can evolve from it. So I always laugh when I see these kind of people where they'll like to stack, like your goal, let's go back to the pushup, but I see it all the time too, or people like to stack weight on the back of their pushup and, or they'll elevate their feet. Mm -hmm. And clearly you can see this arch in their back and it's like, yeah, they can add more weight and they hold it and it's really cool. And they can, I'm sure they get stronger and whatnot, but if you just figure out a way to remove all that weight, even take your feet down, even go against a wall and just really how to figure out how to pull, like engage those muscles and then also learn how to breathe using all those breathing muscles, you can accomplish, I would say, even more than putting weight on and trying to hold it, even though you have no weight. It's way more tedious. It's way more like intention. You actually have to use your brain. You know, some people like to cop out and throw a bunch of weight on and just mm-hmm. like go numb for a while. And that's one way of training. It's just not really my preferred method, but you can accomplish so much just from thinking like, okay, what's going on with this exercise? Where am I breathing? Where am I not breathing? Am I breathing low? Is my chest elevated? Is it depressed? And so it's, it's kind of, I find that unique because it's almost endless, but other people find it very boring. And I mean, I understand that it's not for everyone. So, yeah. That's the thing as with a lot of this type of work is it takes, you really have to want to do it and get better or you have to find uh ways to trick athletes into doing it one of the two like a yes. like a mental trickery pre- is good <laughs> like it, it is interesting with yeah you know, some of the things that i've been doing or at least i think of uh with this type of thing is i like doing a lot of work on parallettes and i really have enjoyed actually like that top kind of almost hollow position of the push-up when your hands are on parallettes and you are really like taking the scapula forward and the rib, the thorax back and you're kind of putting everything uh, back a little bit and then go down into the push-up where then you are like, you could pull the shoulder blades back a little bit. It, you know, the more I re- learn about posture, though, I, I try not to get too carried away with ending up in extent or, you know, too, um, like, I, I guess we can get to this point where, where any extension, we can be like, oh, we don't want to go there. But I mean, we should be able to go wherever. But I guess what I'm saying is I, I feel yeah. like position is more about 
just getting all those antagonists, like maintaining like a good, like spot, relatively good spinal length breathing, and then just getting the antagonists online. Like one of the things I did recently with the lunge, even just a small tweak was one day recently a lunge, my intention was just uh, rear leg straight, that straight rear leg, just getting the glute to be more online. And I was so sore in my glutes the day after that small change. It, whereas normally, I guess I wouldn't, I guess the the muscle tone in that back leg would have been less. You know, I was just, just generally pulling down, not feeling, putting my awareness on my rear glute. But just by that little subtle change, I, I got way more out of it from a hip perspective. And so, and it makes sense that just kind of going through almost a checklist of, do I have tone here and here? And thinking about that as position as well. Like what muscles can pull me here? What, what ones are not helping me pull down? Uh, being really powerful as well. Yeah. And like, it's tedious and it's annoying, but it's like the results are very, they're almost infinite because everything you can think of something new every single day. So I like it. What do you think about, I think we all have seen this for those of us who have have utilized isometric work, especially like a lunge is the easiest place to see it. I feel like is the athletes who just either, either a seems like they literally don't want to pull downwards into it or B and maybe that's most of it or B they can't like, or maybe they're kind of like bouncing like subtly, like a millimeter up and down. I see that a lot. Like athletes who kind of, they go up a little bit, they go down a little bit, they go up a little bit. And I just think to myself, I've just told you to pull downwards. Like, why can't you do this? (laughs) And, and those are athletes who are not very typically very explosive, strong, resilient, you know, all those things that we want that, is almost always a commonality is that those athletes just seem to have a very a lack in being able to steadily with a like a lock be pulling into it they're always just like bouncing or they just don't seem like they can or want to yeah i see that often too and i I honestly think they just they can't they just they don't know how to so literally you have to not not necessarily teach them like trick them you're like okay well this is what it feels like to engage your hamstring and i mean i've gone through 30 minutes where they still can't do it. Like, I'm literally like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And they just, they just don't know how to. So that's just an awareness thing. It's probably habits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. So you've been doing something your entire life one way and you're just automatically changing it, which sucks too. Cause it's can be very defeating to someone, right? Like, Oh, I couldn't do this. And that's bad. So it's like, how do you approach it in a manner of like, well, you know, we didn't get it today. I mean, that's okay. Because what we did, this was still beneficial. It's not like it was bad. I mean, we, we worked out, but it can be tricky because you can make them seem like they did something wrong if they didn't do it right or correctly, which is something I've noticed that you kind of got to be careful with how you word things. Back to that mental aspect, fear and love type mentality. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about hypnosis and mental training for athletes. While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix Formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, 
you can head to www.lostempereherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365 day money back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and how that's something that as I learn more about the language of things, which I think is so important to really get the best results to, to communicate yeah, things with, to the athlete that really inspire them. And I think it's very easy to tell them all the things that they do wrong. Uh, yeah, super easy. <laughs> what do you think about, like Dan Fichter had this mechanism that he, I, he probably mentioned this four years ago to me. And, uh, but like the idea of uh, someone like who has a hard time activating their hamstring or like whatever muscle it is that you have a hard time activating to get down into that movement, like a lunge or like, we can use a lunge as an example. It's pretty easy. A uh, Dan would use a band, like a jump stretch band and, and loop it around like a power rack on one end low and then the other end would loop around the athlete's calf or, or mid calf yeah. and, and that would like create this constraint like from the outside that if they don't fire with their hamstring they're gonna their their shin's gonna get away from them uh forward like do you use anything like that or do you have any thoughts on like external constraints or, or ideas on creating constraints that might force an athlete to recruit some of those pulling muscle groups down into uh, whatever it is you're trying to do yeah i mean i've definitely seen that before I, although external devices and things have a very valuable place in any sort of training or treatment, I tend to like to stick to more internal awareness. So something that you need to figure out, uh, you know, on your own. So I almost would do something where I would put them in a position where the hamstring has to work and almost like get their hamstring to like cramp. Um, like a good example is like have them lay in their stomach and they, they crunch their ribs down, they push their hips into the ground and then they, they kick their leg up. So it's almost like you're putting your hip into extension while you're kind of pushing your hips into the floor. And basically that turns your hamstring on and your hamstring is completely on because it has to keep the leg from going straight and they'll eventually get this kind of pain or cramp in their hamstring. And then I'll immediately flip them over and put them into a lunge. So then now that they have this, all this sensation in their hamstring and I'll have them, okay, now pull down in and they'll be like, Oh, I kind of felt something in my hamstring just because it had been working for so long. But those are the cues that I, I tend to stay more with as opposed to like pushing someone into like a certain position or using my hands to like, cause then they, they'll resist. And that's just, my experience i'm not i don't know if one way is better than the other but that's just the way that i go about things sure yeah just like an uh an an external stimulus versus an internal like i mean i think they both yeah. have powerful benefits and it you know it'd be interesting too i was just thinking for a push-up like you could maybe do like a set of like almost basically just arm curls or an isometric arm curl at, at a similar angle and and for like biceps like can you recruit biceps to pull into this or Maybe like a T-based hole with a band. Well, not, I don't really use those, but like the, the Rotator yeah. Cup series. But I don't know, just to like help be like, hey, can you feel this muscle group pulling you into this? Just to get that. And, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, like the kind of some of these origins, trying to figure out the origins of like the resistance stretching, pulling into a position type thing. I, I was reading Bob Cooley's book, and I know you had talked to me about that individual or doctor with the resistance stretching. And uh, the common theme was like is pulling into it agonist antagonist like it's it's that you get the the muscles on the one side contracting the muscles on the other side lengthening and so anyways, it just seems like that's a 
you could also, yeah, use some of those priming exercises in, in that way. I, I've just like I've seen Werner Gunther. And I, that's like people. It's funny that was in the eighties with Werner Gunther, the shot putter training, and he was doing stuff where he's like he would do like a set of leg extensions and then jump into squats in a particular point in his training phase. And yeah, and so it almost seems like you could also, yeah, do pretty much infinite like whatever muscle group you're trying to get more tone you could maybe i do like a small sensation movement and then try to bring that in i'll definitely have to try that myself i'm sure you could be so creative with that that whole series Mm -hmm. yeah and i like that too and it's like you got to keep in mind too that pulling into position and posture like we're not static we don't we're not designed to like stay still i know in an isometric obviously we're, we're being as still as possible from a visual standpoint but there's a lot going on in our body but like, I want to go back to your push-up. Remember how you were saying that you would start the push-up where your shoulders are completely retracted forward, mm-hmm. and then, and then as you pull down into position, then you start to retract your shoulder blades. I mean, every movement should be like that. So like, your shoulder blades should not start in one position and end in that same position, right? So figure out a way throughout the whole movement what is going on with the movement, right? If you're in a top of a push-up. You're right. Your shoulder blades should be as far forward as possible. But then by the time you get to the bottom of the push-up, they should be as, as far back as possible and down and, and stuff like that. So, Yeah, that's, that's something that I've become more and more aware of is you know, there's lifting for like performance, like just outputs. Like, and that would be, to me, that's things like that you can throw in the weight room occasionally, like more like, like partial squats is a little more output way of uh, lifting or like a, like a hex deadlift with high handlebars is a little more output. It's a little bit more like late stance drive. But then you have the health, the I guess you could call it the strength, health, health and robustness lifting, which is like a deep squat where you maybe work the heels on the way down and the knees can be out a little bit. And then on the way, on the reversal, you get a little bit of internal rotation. The knees can come forward and you move to your midfoot. And there's like this 3D, you're working more of the fullness of your movement capacity and fullness of range. And yeah. that's the way I, yeah, I think about like, yeah, you can kind of train either way. And I think they're both important, but if you don't train in the full 3d way <laughs> and you just do output stuff, that's where you can run into problems from like your injuries creeping up or, you know, you just, maybe you not, can't recover from some of the other work as well. And I kind of, yeah, I've been, just been thinking about that so much more with training. I think you can, yeah, like get it out of different places. Yeah. Yeah, the, the full range of motion, I guess, is what you would say is if you don't have it, then yeah, injuries are way more prone to happening to you. Yeah. Back to something you said before with the, the breathing. I forget exactly what the context was, but it was a, I was thinking about a, a Jay Schrader movement where I, I don't think, I've never seen any other coach do this. And you know, Jay obviously pioneered so much of this, this ideology, but it was a, like a single arm bench press where you would have the bar, uh, you're lying on your back. And you're just holding the bar at arm's length out like a bench press and then you're balancing it and you have to do a certain amount of breaths between each like single arm bench. So I'll like, I will do a single arm bench press at some point, but I'm just going to hold it up top and breathe for like 10 breaths or it takes forever. But I just, I always found that so cool because it like, it's really so much about the breathing and also that um, like in the postural restoration world, it's, it's like more of a. It's more of a flexion of the, the the scapula rather than always being in that compressed shoulders back standard bench position that gets you into trouble as well. And it, it's yeah, yeah. I just thought that was a really cool. It, the, you talking about the breathing and the scope of a push up type thing that really makes me thinking more about that. It makes me feel like those athletes who have a trouble with the <laughs> like the iso push up, even the base progression. Maybe they could be 
better served by something like that, you know, to, to get better at the breathing and just holding that posture. You know, they get self-reinforcement of posture with their back on a, a bench for a little while and they focus on their breathing and they, they at least have the scapular strength. And maybe that's, um, maybe that'd be a good place to go with the breath, the base of breath, I guess. Well, that's a huge exercise for breathing because when you're holding a bar with one arm, your whole left, let's just say you're holding your right arm, the whole left side of your body has to stabilize. And people don't realize that if you keep your abdominals engaged to where your midline doesn't shift when you're holding that. So the moment I put the bar up, typically what's going to happen is you're going to twist at some point on your left side of your body to counter off that balance. You can stay midline, like an easy way to do that is just like look at your abs and your six pack, your rectus abdominis. If that line that goes down the middle of your abs, if that line stays in the middle, then you're usually doing a pretty good job. But you'll start to realize that your maybe your right hip comes off a little bit and that line kind of shifts. And so then you realize that you, I wouldn't say come out of position, but that's going to compromise your breathing, right? So now, how what muscles can I use to pull that midline back in while holding this bar up is quite difficult with your abs. So, I mean, I, it is... Is very beneficial if you like I said it's, it's the intention part though like mm-hmm. no one's paying attention to their hips I mean even their hamstrings in that position because your what your right leg is going to come off the ground a little bit because your left leg is going to stay planted to kind of hold that bar up or sorry the right leg will stay planted if I'm holding the right in my right hand so learning to engage that left side hamstring to keep the balance like I said it's it's endless I mean I geek out over that stuff but it's boring to a lot of other people. <laughs> Yeah, just sitting there in a position like you would watch that single arm bench press and be like, man, this is so boring to watch. <laughs> but there's a lot going on. It it kind of almost makes me think too of um, like a lot of lower body exercises. I mean, when someone's like feet are dysfunctional and they've been wearing, you know, clod hopper shoes their whole life and their nerves and their feet are way down regulated, three sets of 10 is not going to help that person. They need to do a lot to get those yeah. feet back online. and. It makes, gotta undo a lot first. <laughs> yes. And so it, to me, it actually strikes me that it could be a very similar story with the upper body. Like if someone can't even do a good ISO push-up, just doing a few ISO push-ups like twice a week, I, you need to do a lot more than that from that just core and breath perspective. It strikes me that doing like something like that single arm bench press hold with breaths where maybe each set takes you three or four minutes <laughs> that that's going to give you so much more exposure per, per like time capita, I guess, if that's a term to get yeah. you in a readiness state to actually go do that ISO push up and do a good job with it, with the breathing ability. Yeah, no, that's a good point too, where it's, if you've got a lot of undoing to do, just doing a couple of five minute ISOs, you know, a couple of times a week, like three, four times a week, like it's just, it's not going to cut it. You're just, you're essentially maintaining your quote unquote compensation. Mm. Um, you're not really doing enough to undo. Like one of my favorite quotes, I think I saw it on, I think Tommy John just posted the other day. He was like, how do you, people who train three to four times a week, how do they expect to feel good or operate at a high level seven days a week? You're obviously missing four days out of the week of training. So it's kind of the same concept. Like you really need to be doing something every day if you're trying to undo something because you're doing the compensation every day is so you need to increase the the demand or the volume to more so you start to undo and break that compensation with that i think the compa- like a companion session is really helpful like a morning something i've been into i mean throughout my life but every time i do it i feel so much better it's just like a short morning session with just some basic stuff basic bodyweight stuff i need to work on yeah and that 
just just a little bit more exposure. And I forget where I heard this story. It might have been, um, I think it might have been in Frank Frenzitz's his, his book or Rafe Kelly was talking about it or maybe a combination. But like in some cultures, they don't even know what exercise is. That's a foreign word to them because their life is movement. They're always doing work mm. like they're they're whatever their yeah. daily chores their daily routine involves lots of physical things and so it's not like oh yeah you just you know four times a week for 45 minutes you do some stuff <laughs> and when they these cultures will see like a foreigner come and stay at like an airbnb or a hotel and then that person like might work out they're like what are you doing that's weird <laughs> yeah this is our our whole life is movement we don't know what this is so it, it definitely puts a little different person and i know tommy he had a he had a video that made me laugh he was um he was carrying his laundry like several miles like over his head to the laundry <laughs> or something like that and we don't because we just or he had a post like every hill for like a period of time every hill you see you must sprint up it doesn't matter what it is right? i, I kind of think about that in, in you know i work from home a lot and i think about it even in the house okay sprint up the stairs just like you know just we don't think about the daily walk, whatever we're doing around the house or, or the yard or whatever, we don't think about that as just an opportunity to move in a different way to kind of add to our our total physical competency. So I I, I totally hear you on that. It's it's hard with so many clients or you know or like student athletes whose lifestyle is so much sitting, but you you got to take advantage of those opportunities to get the most out of reversing the patterns you found yourself in. I know, and you could. I mean, it's endless. You could do a lot of things, but. People are lazy. They don't want to do it. So, yeah, there is something that's inviting about a hill, though. Like uh, Paul Cater was on the podcast. He was like, "It's just you know, if you're a kid or watch a dog or something, like there's just something about a hill that says sprint up me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just put more signs around, so, you know, stairs, like you know, or hills. Maybe people would. Maybe that's a challenge for people listening. You know, every for the next week, every stair set of stairs or hills, you just sprint up it. Start like a start a movement you know just starting what if every set of stairs at the you know not that malls are a thing anymore but like people just had to run up as fast as they could every time they got to it that is true but i remember that at malls everyone there's always kids just running upstairs because they're just so excited (laughs) yeah it's just so much fun so yeah this uh question you had mentioned it but i I do want to ask this to you in the light of you as a chiropractor is what is good posture to you? I think good posture means different things to different people. I know you mentioned the breath, but then I know obviously you'll be doing manual work on clients as well. And so what to, what to you is good posture? Like what a person, it's like, okay, this this is good posture. You're, you're doing well from this perspective. Yeah. So I think just from my line of work, the first thing I look at is around the spine. So, and this is my experience and everyone's going to have different opinions on the matter, but I mean, your spine, I typically like to have it as straight as possible. So if you think of the natural S curve that we have, you know, if, if the S part portion is, is greater, you know, or sticks out more somewhere than just by gravity, there's going to be more pressure put on that point. So I always look at the, the spine when it comes to good posture. And um, yeah, I mean, just kind of take it from there. And so, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's kind of a like open-ended question. So for people who's kind of listening can always start there. I use adjustments as a tool to definitely kind of help and figure out, okay, well, um, if they're not able to engage this or they can't get into this position, 
you know, sometimes it is a mobility issue, so they can't physically get there. So an adjustment can sometimes help them reach that, that end point. Um, and then I always back it up with some sort of exercise, right? Because if it's an external, if my hands or my, you know, adjustment is making them move, they still need to figure it out from an internal awareness on how to uh, maintain that position. So backing it up with some sort of ISO like that puts them in a certain position that forces them to stay in that position. And, you know, the muscles have to work to maintain that position. There's a lot of stuff that I do, but yeah. 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 That makes sense. I think posture, I mean, posture is fluid too. It's not just one, <laughs> you aren't like just stuck in one position. Oh, this is a good posture, you know? So that, I do think that element of it makes it a little bit more hard to describe, but the, the generally long spine idea, and obviously we do have a S curve. We, shouldn't be totally straight like that wouldn't be very effective uh but but a few guests uh edith hoist and sam weist um who both have i feel like they like sam a lot of background in the martial arts and then track and field uh edith into a ton of like kind of the more um i guess you call awareness-based systems like feldenkrais and and someone who is i think very sensitive to like the motions of the body have both talked about at least like an extensible or an extended a, a sense of tallness. Like Sam, we would yeah. say, you see good track athletes, you know, elite jumpers. They they aren't like all hunched over. They have this longness of the spine to them, and obviously, it doesn't mean it's like a ramrod. Like it's not straight, like totally straight, but it's definitely not like hunched over and compressed. It's um. So I, I definitely that I definitely understand what you're saying with that. Um, and then also just tacking onto that, I that's something I that Tommy John was telling me about his chiropractic practice back when I uh, first met him and was talking to him is like, yeah, so many um, times, at, you know, people just seek out some sort of treatment or intervention and then they don't have anything that like, like, yeah, solidifies that. It's like, just go get your back cracked, you know, once a week and don't do anything else. And then you're just going to keep coming back. Right. Like it's probably just yeah. like for a great business model in some sense, but like Tommy was very into having people do work and that being like the greater percentage and the actual passive stuff being a lot smaller percentage. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, um, and to kind of, um, to go back when you're talking about the spine, uh, the, I use the term like elongation, you want to elongate your spine because extension is just essentially you going backwards. So a lot of people can have too much extension, but I think you were saying that, but it's funny too, because a lot of people think, oh, I need to build up my back and extend to, mm -hmm. you know, fix my posture. And it's no, you want to think elongate, you know, stretch as far up and down as it can go. And it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I know Sam had uh, said, he, he said it wasn't like, uh, I was asking him to describe, I think on the last, last podcast, like, yeah, what do you, what do you do? And how do you do? And I think he had, he had um, mentioned, it's a little bit, it's not necessarily that straightforward. He had made a video with some different visualizations and intentions you could have. And I think a lot of that went into more like a martial art practice or a meditative type movement practice. But to me, I think, yeah, it's people can get in trouble with just thinking of like, or even like, all right, I'm going to straighten out my back. So I'm going to do these rows and I'm going to like crank backwards, you know, to like somehow fix this. And then you end up kind of overextending that motion. And it's not, whereas the visual is more about like length versus, yeah, yeah, like you said that with that. Okay. So, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I'm super fascinated with this stuff. Um, and back to Jay Schrader, I know he had talked, when he had talked about athletic performance, I've heard him mention like organ systems 
And it, it's kind of, it's always interesting when you take that step out of the, the known, right? Because so many coaches, it's like, right, well, we know muscles. And then, you know, you take that jump and it's like, okay, now we're in the nervous system. That's a little bit of a foreign land and we're trying to learn about the nor. And then organs, like no one even, <laughs> like people, like that's just something that's, that's way out there for a lot of people. And so what I, what's your take on the, like, like pulling into position, um, like extreme isos and then in light of, um, organs or meridian lines, like getting into kind of the, the Chinese medicine element of things. Yeah. So to kind of tie it all together, I mean, we are beings, uh, we are electrical beings, number one, and obviously we use energy. And so Eastern medicine or, you know, there's plenty of them, but let's just say the Chinese, you know, they looked at our bodies from an energy standpoint. So where was energy getting blocked? Where was it, you know, getting backed up? Why wasn't it going through here? And so that's where the meridian line essentially kind of originated from. And the meridian lines are all uh, connected to an organ. Um, and they run through our body. They typically start in the hands and feet, and then they'll kind of pass through a line in our body, and then they'll end up at an organ. Um, now, kind of fast forward, um, there's this doctor, Jerry Tennant. Um, I've kind of read some of his books. And, you know, just before we move forward, this is all speculation, you know, opinion, right? This is what, this is his opinion on what the meridian lines did to our body. But basically, he found out that our muscles acted like power sources for our organs. And so when you think of, you know, when we contract and relax a muscle, it's like a spring or a pump almost. It kind of goes up, down, up, down, contract, relax. And that pump actually would um, create electricity um, or electrical current that would then follow the, the meridian line and then actually power that organ. And the meridian lines are very similar to anatomy trains, the fascia lines. Mm. Um, and fascia, which surrounds our muscles, is actually semiconductive. So um, it actually can transmit electricity, electrons through through our muscles, or um, that's where the electricity kind of goes through. And so when it goes and you, <clears throat> so contracting a muscle is one thing, but also the tone of the muscle is also a different thing. And the tone is essentially the amount that it stays contracted when you're not really doing anything. So he found out that the more tone you had in a muscle, the easier it was for kind of communication back and forth between that muscle would, would go, or I guess just to say electricity could pass through that muscle. So if you didn't have tone in that muscle, then the energy or the electricity or something couldn't go through that muscle. And then therefore it couldn't support and power the organ that it was associated to. So that's kind of like the basis theory of um, the modern theory of what meridian lines kind of do um, in, in the Western world. But if you kind of take it from a standpoint, I mean, our organs all have a job in our body to do, right? Our thyroid produces hormones, our stomach is stomach acid, and you know the list can go on. And so from a performance standpoint, just to think that our muscles are the only thing that powers our performance, right? Okay, well, the muscles make us move. Well, you know, what's making them, the muscles do their job, right? And so everything kind of ties back to just, you know, we're, we're one big entire system. And so if something's lacking in the system, then it's going to affect something else in the system. So kind of tying the organs, making, you know, Jay would always say, you know, we would recruit or bring in all the organ systems to kind of help us 
propel us and, you know, whatever we were trying to achieve. And so I think that kind of would be my best guess of tying it together because, I mean, we need fully functional organs to just live our daily life. And when you think of from an isometric standpoint, if you learn to contract and pull and engage certain muscles, um, you're going to increase the tone of that muscle. And what makes an ISO cool is because you're actually creating a lot of tone throughout the whole body. Um, you know, just to, to hold a position requires a lot of pulling, a lot of stabilizing, a lot of engaging, breathing. So it's different than let's just say doing a rep where a rep is kind of, you know, up, down. And then even on the down or the up, some people are relaxing other areas or even at the top, they'll maybe rest for a couple of seconds. And so you don't really increase tone very much um, when you kind of do traditional concentric exercises. Um, you increase mass, right? It makes your muscles look bigger, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the tone is there. Um, so that's kind of cool. That's kind of, I've been like when I've kind of go down and do my, my journey and path through isometrics, that's been the most made the most sense to me. And I've actually felt and gotten really good results. Like if you sometimes in my practice, if there are people that have stomach issues where they can't digest, um, they don't produce enough stomach acid. You know, one way to do it is, you know, here, take some HCL, which is just a digestive enzyme, which helps. Right. But again, that's an external source. Um, so what you could do is you could find the stomach meridian line, figure out which muscles are really lacking in tone or just even mobility for that matter for anything and really start doing exercises to crank up those muscles on those that meridian line. And you actually watch these people's stomachs, they get better. Um, it takes a lot of time though. It's not a, it's not a like, let's do this for a week and you're going to start feeling better. It takes a long time to create tone in a muscle and kind of restore that pathway but it's certainly effective if people are willing to give it a shot. And the cool thing about that is it's really, it doesn't require like you got to go buy this and you got to, you know, go see this person or, you know, maybe you have to see someone to kind of get a general guideline of what's going on, but then you kind of take it, go home and it's kind of up to you to, to do the exercises and, and really want to fix this problem. So I mean, I've seen it work and I think that's kind of what's going on when we talk about Tommy John, like, Hey, you need to put in the work. You know, I'm, I'm here to just kind of tell you, Hey, this is what I see what's wrong. And this is how it could be connected. But this allows you to put in the work yourself and reap the benefits. So, yeah, I, I do definitely think back to the, like the three by 10 will fix this mentality is some stuff just takes, just takes more. And it takes yeah. a, lo a lot of intention and a lot of time. I, I, yeah, like you said about um, uh, Jerry uh, Tennant, uh, it is, I, I think, yeah, people probably will have different beliefs on exactly, um, you know, what's going on with different things. Uh, it can be a little For bit sure. harder to define and make those connections. Same thing with Bob Cooley, like when someone says, this is linked to this. And, but I, I, at the very least, I don't think that we can get away with just the interconnectedness of the body, that it's not just this, or even like if someone doesn't have a lot of muscle tone in one muscle to just say, I mean, my favorite's always like, oh, well, your your glute medius is weak. So do these like clamshells or something. It's like, well, how did it get weak? Like, did it yeah. just one day decide? To, and, and honestly, even when they say it is, I don't even necessarily believe that. Because <laughs> a lot of times those kind of, um, you know, saying that that's the thing that's happened. Like, well, why? Why did there suddenly glute medius just go weak if that's what you think really happened? 
but to ask, I always think, well, if someone doesn't have, if someone's posture is a certain way, if someone's really lacking the ability to, to get tone in a muscle group, well, why is that? Is it, do they just wake up one day? It's like, no, I feel I, there, there has to be something deeper in the body that is, is bringing that up. So I always just find it really interesting to explore those connections as I'm just starting to read about that type of thing. And I, I do think that as well, like, especially with the extreme ISO stuff, I, it's interesting to think about, well, why does this work? What about this is so, and I just, I think it's a very systemic thing. Like just, it's a, just a generally good practice to do. Uh, there's, that has a lot more benefits, I, I think, than even just like, all right, this, you know, you're an agonist antagonist, like a very, like just, just muscle centric. I, I feel like there's more to it. I just haven't gone through it. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, increasing tone in your muscles has been shown to help promote um, or to help um, uh, circulation. So the heart obviously pumps blood away and then the veins have to bring it back to the heart. Well, they don't really have a pump to bring it back to the heart. So the tone of the muscle actually helps push that blood back to the heart. And same with lymph, lymphatic drainage. If you have no tone in the muscle, where do you think, I mean, that lymph isn't going anywhere. So like, there's a lot of things you can tie it to of just like, well, this is actually maybe a practice of like healthy living or just healthy movement, healthy lifestyle, as opposed to like, yeah, I'm going to get stronger and really fast in my sport and all this other stuff. So Mark, as which are also added benefits though. Oh obviously. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without, without question. That's one of those things too, is I think I, I've done some of the ISO stuff just as a standalone in the past without really doing anything else. And I actually didn't notice, like it's always been the combinations of using it that I've, I've found the most effective, like just doing it by itself. I haven't gotten as much out of it because it's like, it's almost like it's the um, and I, I think maybe we've had this conversation, but like the idea of using the, the ISOs as a recovery tool, it's a general, it's this wonderful general recover tool and then go do your explosive mm-hmm. stuff and then do the ISO holds as this general recover tool. And I guess you could do that either on the, the macro, like, like once a day, do the explosive once a day, do the ISOs or even in the same session, if you don't have time, um, or, or day to day, day, a day, a, b, a, b or whatever, but. Yeah, it makes me think about it as that as well. I just I appreciate it more the more I learn about those movements. Yeah. Mark, as a chiropractor with who's done a lot of work in neurology, I, I think about this sometimes, or a lot, is I, I think about what, what does it mean to be strong? And I've had conversations with coaches who talk about, well, one element of getting stronger, like you can go to the gym, and I've seen this with athletes who are like, like swimmers, for example. Uh, or track athletes like they go and they, they get better at squats or deadlifts or olympic lifts but some of the reason that they just got better at those movements was they just learned to compress their body a little bit better they learned to arch their back a little bit more or their pelvis shifted forward a little bit like the body aligned itself to handle vertical loading and i mean a little bit i think a little bit of being able to compress the body is a good thing but sometimes just moving the just saying you moved a bar with more weight from point a to point b Yes, maybe the muscles did a little bit more, you had a little more mass, but also maybe compression, just your your posture and compression was a part of that too. And that doesn't necessarily transfer to being a great athlete, or it could be a negative transfer at some point if you took it far enough. So anyways, I, what I'm trying to ask is like neurological strength, like what, what does that mean to you and your experience uh, in, in neurology? Um, so... I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, 
I mean, our brain is the command center, so it'll it'll tell your muscle what to do um, pretty much the, I mean, the entire time. And so if it's telling it to be weak for whatever reason, then it's, then it's going to stay weak, you know, no matter how many um, reps you do or, you know, whatever exercise you're trying to do to strengthen that. And so a lot of it's kind of perception. Um, like if you essentially think that you are strong, um, then that kind of does transfer it over to, to a degree, but it's really overcoming kind of that mental aspect. And so you want to, you want to like a, a good example is the jumping, right? Like we're only going to jump as high as we know as we can land safely. And so that's just like your body perceives that you can land this safely. So I'm only going to, I'm going to inhibit your muscles to jump this high because I know that this is going to make me safe. And so that that's kind of sums it up. So neurologically, if you can trick your body into thinking that it's, Hey, I'm actually, I'm strong. I'm, I can land, I can do this safely. Then, I mean, that's neurological strength. Um, and that's kind of what isometrics are. You're, you're, you're kind of pushing your body to the limit of, okay, this is kind of unsafe in the, in the, in the mental aspect. You're not, you're not actually doing anything unsafe, but your, your brain thinks something bad is going to happen. Like, Hey, this is really discomfort. Why are you putting me through this? And so being able to push that threshold of just discomfort, um, within reason, right? Like, you know, I don't want you to put weight on your back and just, you know, withstand that, but more of that internal awareness. So how much discomfort can you create from the inside out? Not, not externally, you know, factors coming in, but the more that you can do that, the more you can stay calm, breathe, smile to yourself when you're going through that discomfort, I believe that translates over more to what neurological strength is because then you're more in control. You're telling your body what to do as opposed to your brain inhibiting what you want it to do. So kind of switching that mindset and that takes a lot of practice to do. Yeah. So outside of a lot of the, um, you know, I, I, I think about like, um, all the, I don't know if you call them tricks, but like little adjustments that like a chiropractic neurologist could make on an individual to help them get more out of their, their nervous system and their strength. Like not everyone has easy access to, to those types of things. And, and like just the perception, like it, and I, I've seen this and I, I'm sure that I, I'd be curious for any take that you would have on this, but why, do, why do we give two different athletes like the same program? And obviously there's, yes, there's, you know, if you're fa- super fast twitch, you're super slow twitch, you're X, you're, but two athletes who are kind of about the same body type, the same, let's say they're both, I don't know, 200 meter runners in track. So they're both kind of the same type of athlete and you give them the same program and one might just just make gains off it or make just is making more continual progress than the other. And yeah, you could say there's life stress and things too, but I, and I, I saw this in swimming when I worked in swimming is there was just, um, I would just see there's, there'd be these years where the athletes who are more at the top, like they would just make year over year, they were getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. And then there was kind of this second tier of athletes that about every year they kind of swim the same, swim the same, swim the same. And but I would, at the same time, I would watch, like, I would just see the way that some of those higher level athletes would perceive the workout, their, their motivation. It was just different. And it was something that you had to kind of be there, I think, to see. But I, I do, I, I am such a strong believer in, in the perception. So what you're saying is you get more out of your body neurologically, like your, like your brain says, your brain says yes to the stimuli more readily when you have the state of 
like love, like you're like in the sense of you, you don't see it as a threat. You see it as an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess um, maybe that'd be a little bit more like what you're to kind of maybe repeat back to you a little bit or my sense of what you're saying. Uh, Yeah. Like the intention part, right? Like what's my intention going into this? Um, is it to get better? Is it to just get through the workout? Is it to, you know, what are you thinking about during the workout? So like you said, it's when you see those continuing athletes that get better, you know, I don't, it's almost be cool to have a survey of like, well, what were you thinking about during this workout? Or, you know, they're just their overall mindset. Um, cause your, your intention is where you place your energy. And so if your energy, if your intention is elsewhere, then your energy is not in the moment or in whatever workout you're doing and it's you're not getting the, the most out of it i mean that's kind of you look at joe dispenses where he he goes into literally your thoughts where you place your intention is where your energy goes and you only have so much energy throughout the day right you know you eat you sleep you recover but if you're not utilizing that energy it's going somewhere else so yeah yeah you, i i think that'd be really cool to create like, yeah, some sort of survey. It, it would be tough to eliminate the, like, I think a, a lot of people would be inclined to say something that wasn't completely true on how motivated they were, right? Like, like yeah. you know, I want to say, oh, yeah, of course I'm a, a five out of five with motivation and, and, and those kind of things. Or, of course, I'm, you know, this and that. But I, I do find it interesting or even, yeah, it's, it's a, if you could figure out how to do that, I, I, I would be really interested in those results because I, I think it's, it's a really important it's a really important part of the equation and, and how you go in everything. And we've heard, um, I know I've heard throughout my career of athletes who have done completed programs that were considered horribly put together programs, but their intention to be better was just off the charts. Like, and they still yeah. succeeded. They just wanted to be good so bad. And they like steered the program to their will almost. And yeah. uh, I just think that's a really interesting concept. I think that's, I mean, that's most important out of, out of- any program really any program what's your intention behind it yeah well hey mark it's um yeah i think we got through just about all these i I will ask you one more quick question on um just with the neurological elements i don't know this is something we went through quickly uh but drop landings and depth landings um and just like neurological recruitment so tell me a little bit about that like how you and you you mentioned before like depth landings or drop jumps or landing dropping and landing and and that as an assessment of the neurological system um i yeah i mean i think depth jumps and you know altitude drops you know you know whatever you want to call them they're a really good tool it's it's almost secondary though um like you need to learn the basics first so like if you don't know like for instance if you're in the bottom of a push-up you don't know how to recruit certain muscles or get certain things engaged or, you know, breathe correctly, then you kind of have no business kind of dropping and then trying to catch yourself in that position, just because you're not going to learn how to turn on those muscles. Um, if you already can't do it to begin with. Now I have seen some instances where that's totally the exact opposite. And again, it probably goes back to this intention piece where like, let's say they don't know how to turn on muscles in the bottom of a push-up position. Well, they will literally do hundreds of drop catches or drop push-ups or whatever until their body literally figures out how to turn on those muscles. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that work just as well. Um, it's just kind of a matter of how what's your intention is and, and what you want to do. 
but I personally don't use them very much. But the, the concept, in my opinion, behind them is that when you kind of land, you, you essentially have to turn on every single muscle to stop you from, you know, continuing to fall forward. And so that balance of contraction, co-contraction, you know, or honestly, whatever is going on, I'm not sure at the molecular level, but you certainly have to engage a lot. And so from a standpoint of just overall fitness, learning to contract those muscles fast and stop yourself is really just beneficial from just like a fitness standpoint. Um, and again, if you do them continually over and over and over again, and you start fatiguing some muscles, then your body's going to start recruiting other muscles to make sure that you catch yourself in that position. And so it's a really good way of bringing things out um, that you may not necessarily know what was there. But again, that requires kind of high volume, lots of reps. So I don't know if people are willing to kind of do that many to kind of get that type of benefit. So I guess from a standpoint of like, if you already know the position really well, they can be very beneficial in kind of creating uh, more awareness of that stopping power. Because uh, remember, your body is only going to allow you to do something if it knows it can safely return or land or stop itself. So if you can train that stopping mechanism, it'll actually propel you in forward doing, you know, whatever you want to do, like a vertical jump. Like I've seen people vertical jump where they'll, they'll do altitude drops at their height. So they'll, they'll jump, let's say it's 20 inches, 25 inches. So they'll set the height of an altitude drop for 25 inches. And they'll just continually land over and over and over again until they get really good at landing from that 25 inches. And then a couple of weeks later, their verticals a couple inches higher. It's literally all they do just because they allow themselves to land safely. Yeah, I, I've heard that the body will only, you will, your body will only let you jump as high as it knows that you can land it. Um, yeah. I, I like the, the little anecdote about athletes who didn't maybe have the quote unquote perfect muscle activation patterns and were still doing those drops and just through through their intention and will to get good at it, figured it out. It it makes me think about um like I've heard stories of that in the like like sprinting I think is a little bit more straightforward in some senses. If you grew up playing all sorts of different sports, you're sprinting in lots of different contexts. But jumping is a little different because it's not something that is necessarily required frequently in every sport. But some people who are like high level dunkers and they figured out these amazing dunks. So often you hear, well, I just wanted, I just wanted so bad to be good at this. I, I just like, yeah. they, they had this vision of being amazing. And so they obsessively practiced it and their body just self organ like their body was able to self organize without probably getting into all the little, uh, we're going to do this kind of plyometric here and we're going to do that kind of plyometric or this strength thing to fill in this gap that you're missing. It's like, no, they just, they, they were their will and intention was as such that they set this goal and their body was able to do what it needed to do to get there. And I guess, yeah, the question always is as well, if you couldn't get there, what, what do we need to do to help you get there? You know, and that's, I think that's obviously the, the course of training, but it is cool to, to observe those anecdotes of athletes who, whose will is so strong that it kind of carried, it almost like carried everything else along for the ride, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, uh, those maybe, that's, anxious. maybe that's what neurological strength is. That's like, in a nutshell, that's what it is. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Cool. Well, hey, I think that's a good place to leave off. I will be pondering that throughout the rest of the day. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks so much for yeah. uh, sitting down to chat again and coming back on the show. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for tuning in for another show. Thank you so much for being here. And if you enjoy the episode, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or a view on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to. Would totally appreciate that. We'll see you guys next week.